As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving. That means that next Friday is Black Friday, and that means BTE's annual Black Friday sale. 20% off most BTE transmission components. For details, visit bteracing.com or contact me at Luke Bogacki Motorsports. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality new or used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. And the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke, what's happening? Been a busy week up here in Illinois. Uh, for those of you that follow me on social media, we got a new Vega Resurrection column up. A little mm-hmm. update. I'm getting, I'm getting fired up. Our buddy Jeff is uh, making some progress on the little Vega, and uh, every time that I go by there, I get a little bit more excited about getting it back on the racetrack. How about you? Oh, man, just hanging out, uh, was getting all geared up for the Huntsville MVP Nationals and some rough weather this weekend has caused that to be postponed. So actually just relaxing a little bit now. It's going to be a relaxing week. I didn't even realize that. They push it back to the first weekend of December. Was that the rain? They did. Yep, they did. December 1st through the 3rd. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, it's uh, it's all good. I'm looking forward to seeing the Vega uh, I've been keeping up with that, and I saw your uh, blog update. So, look forward to seeing that baby come out and all shined up. 
and fresh, ready to go. Yeah. Uh, antici- when you anticipate seeing it again or back on the track. Who knows, Big Jed? I'm, I'm not ready to put a <laughs> timeline on it just yet. We got a lot of work between here and there. At some point in 2018, I'm not ambitious enough to think that I will start the season with it, but it, it will hit the track at some point in 2018. Well, 2018 is going to be an odd year for Luke Bogacki Motorsports. I know you're downsizing a little bit and you're getting the Vega freshened up, but it's going to be late in the year before you see it. So it's going to be quite a change for you next year. Yeah, it's a little different. If you've kept up at all with us on social media, you notice that just about everything is for sale. At this point, I wish I had as much interest in the stuff that I'm trying to sell as I do interest in why I'm trying to sell it. <laughs> um, we, we've discussed that in the past here on the podcast, and I don't want to make this into the Luke Bogacki Motorsports podcast. So as briefly as I can, just at a, at a little bit different point in life, like I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue racing in a perfect world. My wife and I will be down to one dragster and the Vega. I'll still be at a lot of the bigger events across the country. I I can't see missing Indy each Labor Day. I can't see missing the million dollar race. We'll pick and choose some of the other ones, but for the most part, our, uh, our show will be on the road a little bit closer to home. Uh, My little man is, uh, will be five in April. He'll start kindergarten next fall. I have been super fortunate over the course of the last three or four years. My wife and son have been with me everywhere that I've been racing and it has been some of the greatest times of our lives. But as he starts school, like I'm just to that point in life where I can't imagine it being a whole lot of fun going out there on my own and by myself. So things are going to stay a little bit closer to home, but uh, everything's fine. I'm not going anywhere. We don't owe the IRS hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like everything's fine. We're just, uh, I got five race cars is a little bit more than I need to keep up with at this point in life. So we're just downsizing a little bit. Yeah. I understand that. And I know everyone else does. And, uh, so that's good news for the, the people on the circuit and bad news for the people around I-57 Drag Strip and, and South Central Illinois. But I know that it's going to be a welcome change for you and uh, you and the family are going to enjoy a little bit different pace going forward. Jed, I'll take exception to that. How can it be bad news to get to hang out with me and my family on a weekly basis? <laughs> well, hanging out with you is fun. Hanging out in the other lane ain't, ain't so much fun. So they'll see. They've proven in the past that they're not too intimidated by that at all. (laughs) Big show on tap today, Big Jed, as per usual. The 2017 NHRA racing season has come to a close with last weekend's World Finals in Pomona. We'll recap that. We'll talk about all of the champions. We will talk about the Summit Series ET champions that were decided in Pomona as well. Quick touch on the uh, Bradenton Winter Series event. And a little update, IHRA gave us a little bit more insight as to what they've got planned with the Summit Sportsman Spectacular for next year. And then we'll close out the show um, basically by introducing next week's show. Next week's show will be uh, be a special one for us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, but we'll get to that in due time. But uh, first, Big Jed, let's start off by going with our weekly topic, our weekly feature, and that is who's hot in the world of Sportsman Drag Racing. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Seabird Performance Who's Hot. Seabird Performance is now offering engine and carburetor packages. This week's featured package is the Pro Series Bracket 441 LS Next. It is a 750 horsepower LS-based small block built with reliability and longevity in mind. It's got a dart block, trick flow heads, vacuum pump, 
coil packs, and an optional Siebert Performance carburetor available as a package. Contact Luke Siebert at 785-286-6813 or check out SiebertPerformance.com. Now, Luke, this week's Who's Hot is kind of surrounded around a name, but it's more than one racer. Pretty interesting, but I really like what we've come up with this week. Yeah, when we debated this, we basically came to three drivers, three good candidates. They're not all family, but they all share the last name. So this week's Who's Hot is all things Williams. <laughs> Troy Williams Jr. and Gary Williams, brothers from Florida, friends of the show, both been on with us in the past, combined to just kind of run over Bradenton Motorsports Park at, at the event that was essentially their homecoming. That was the Winter Series event last weekend in Bradenton. Uh, I believe that was supposed to be a four-day event this year. It got shortened by rain. They only got yeah. two days complete. Troy won one. Gary won the other. And then continuing with the Williams theme, no relation, as Willie so eloquently pointed out when we had Willie Burnett on the podcast several episodes back, Austin Williams, who we have talked about repeatedly and who has not yet been a guest on the show, but I'm confident will be before 2017 is up. Austin, yeah. as I'm sure most of you are familiar with, clinched the NHRA Super Comp World Championship a week ago. We covered that on last week's episode. He put the icing on what has been the cake of his 2017 season over the weekend by winning Stock Eliminator at the NHRA World Finals in Pomona. So our who's hot goes to all things Williams. Tip of the hat to Troy, to Gary, and to Austin. Yeah, not much I can add to that. Obviously, Troy's had a tremendous back half to the year. Uh, been really, really good for him. Gary has performed excellent as always, and... Uh, Great to see Austin, again, as you said, a uh, heartbreaking defeat or heartbreaking second-place finish last year to come up and get the, the Supercomp World Championship this year. So congratulations to the Williams guys. Appreciate Siebert Performance, who's hot, for allowing us to do this segment every week. You know, this is uh, we're about to wrap up a year now, Luke. So it's been really awesome, and I love the who's hot segment, and I really like the little twist we got on it this week. But we'll transition into some talk about what happened out in Pomona. Uh, it was very exciting, very exciting. Yeah, we mentioned how surreal a trip is that for Austin Williams. Made the trip from Texas out to Pomona. To, it was just a one-week deal for him. He didn't stop in Vegas on the way. On Sunday, he collects National Event Wally and Stock Eliminator. On Monday, he goes across town and uh, enjoys the banquet festivities and is crowned world champion in Supercomp. I don't think you can write a much better script than that. And it was interesting, as I was keeping up with the results from Pomona this year, all of the sportsman champions, with the obvious exception of, of Jeffrey Barker and Lynn Ellison, the top dragster and top sportsman champions as top dragster and top sportsman were not contested at Pomona, but all of the other sportsman champions were in Pomona and were all in on Sunday with an opportunity to cap that unbelievable season with a victory. Mm -hmm. Now, Austin was the only one that actually pulled it off, but Laboose was in deep in super gas down to eight cars. We'll talk about him in just a minute. Justin Lamb, who obviously claims the world championship in both stock and super stock, believe he was a quarter finalist in super stock, maybe the semis. He was in real deep. Obviously, Austin gets the win. And David Rampey, I think, lost second or third round of competition eliminators. So they're all there hanging around. I think it's rare that all of the champions are even competing in Pomona, much less that they all have an opportunity to finish the season on such a high note. Yeah, great point. Some of those guys from back here on the East Coast, so uh, that's, a, that's a tough trip for them. But 
obviously going out there with um, making the banquet in mind. So it's a trip well worth taking. And it was, I know we don't talk much comp eliminator, obviously, but it was great to see Rambo again, put his name on the top of the list and comp eliminator. That was uh, really cool. That's a guy from Alabama, somebody I've looked up to since, you know, I began racing and the guy's just unbelievable. He, he still has uh, so much talent, so much driving ability and, Obviously, um, very, very good equipment. So good to see Rambo get it done. And did it in style this year. Finished that off. His win at, I believe it was the win at Vegas Divisional, capped a perfect season in terms of earning points. Uh, three national event wins, five divisional event wins. It's hard to beat that. And it's actually, if I'm not mistaken, the second consecutive season that the competition eliminator world champion has gone perfect across the board as Doug Dahl did it mm. a year ago. So interesting great, tidbit there. Great um, stat. The story from Pomona, as it pertains to the sportsman ranks, as we mentioned last week, every title had been decided when we left Vegas, except for Supergas. And we mm. talked a little bit about the drama of really for the last two months, as John LaBoose Jr. had set the bar and Chris Cannon was really the only driver in contention for the last couple of months to make a serious run at him. And make a serious run he did at the Vegas Divisional two weeks ago. Chris Cannon had to win the fourth round of eliminations to surpass Laboose. He advanced to round four. He made a good lap in round four. His win light didn't come on. So that means that he did not take the lead, but he still had a shot going into Pomona. There, all, quote unquote, <laughs> Chris Cannon had to do to win the NHRA World Championship was to win round two of eliminations. Once again, he advanced to round two of eliminations. Once again, he came up just short. If you look back, and if you're anything like me and really like to study the numbers, the runs that Chris Cannon made, at least on paper, or really over the course of the last month and a half, were some of his best runs of the season. Like, you can't say that he yeah. didn't drive well. He drove well. In case in point, second round of Pomona, he's 20, take four to be 4,000 under. And I know you bracket racing listeners will go, he's 20, like, whatever. I understand, like, it's no more difficult to hit the tree second round of a national event than it would be third round of your local bracket race. But if you've ever run in that style of competition, you realize just how difficult it is to make runs of that caliber. Case in point, this was Saturday morning. Forget the fact that you've got the pressure of knowing if you win that round, you win the world championship on your shoulders. Like, they hadn't been on the track in 24 hours. And you've got quarter mile racing and throttle stops involved and a set index. I'm just telling you, if you went to me in that situation and said, you're going to lay down 24 total, I like my chances. Like that's a pretty good lap, especially considering the circumstances. Obviously in this case, it didn't work out. Cannon's opponent, Larry Bradshaw was 20 total. So with the 20 on the tree, obviously Cannon didn't have much of a chance going forward. And that round win or round loss keeps him from earning the 2017 NHRA World Championship and gives the crown to John LaBoose Jr. Now, without taking anything away from John, we've talked about his season in the past, and we'll touch on it a little bit here as we go, but Jed, would that be the, like, the least gratifying way to win a championship? Not taking anything away from him, but in that instance, John had run early second round, so I assume he had He'd won. He'd made his way back to the pits. I assume he got to the fence to watch Chris Cannon stage and try to beat him. And like how, obviously you feel good. You just won the world championship. But like, 
you got to watch somebody and root for them to lose. Like, and, and yeah. do it two weeks in a row. Like, that's got to probably be the least gratifying way to to earn the crown. What do you think? Yeah, not the way I'd want to do it. Uh, certainly not the way uh, Caboose wanted to do it. I mean, though John uh, probably wanted to have matters in his own hands. And let's not forget, he drove his way to the championship. He just did it very early. And things were out of his control as far as what Chris Cannon accomplished there at the last couple of races. So least gratifying, I guess, yeah, out of the options that I can think of in my head, yes, it is the least gratifying. It's certainly not the way I think he would want to accomplish it or finish it off. Yeah, I mean, the most gratifying would obviously be you win the round that you have to win under pressure to win the championship. And I guess, like, similar to that is you... I guess beyond that, you're, you're kind of depending on someone to lose anyway. But when they get within one round, like, I don't know, I, I'm a sucker for achievement. So, like, I found myself, I don't know Chris Cannon, never met him in my life, wouldn't know him if he walked up to me. Like, I found myself rooting for him just because, like, when you're in that situation, like, I just want to see people succeed, regardless of who you are. And that doesn't mean that I was rooting against John, uh, like, we're sure. golfing buddies, but just... Even on a personal level, like in the super comp chase, after I was defeated at Noble, I found myself rooting for Austin Williams. Now, he's a friend of mine, obviously, but his winning wasn't good for me personally. You know what I mean? It, it basically took away any chances I had to win in the world championship. I just have a hard time rooting against people in that situation. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see anybody fall short with that much on the line. Like I'd just rather see them achieve their dreams. I think that's, I think it's cool. I think, I think it's kind of natural to root for that regardless of who it is. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I guess somewhere in the middle of the least gratifying and most gratifying options that we listed uh, somewhere in the middle of that, uh, why you couldn't, while Little John couldn't gain points, maybe he would have liked to have uh, paired up with Chris somewhere along the way and and stopped it himself, as opposed to depending on somebody else. But yeah, either way, I he got it that done. Wouldn't have to be equally gratifying to winning the round that you have to win because it's basically the same thing. Uh, yep. So I could see that as well. But yeah, it's been several episodes, but it wasn't that long ago we were talking about John Labuse's season as potentially the most successful season in NHRA sportsman racing history. Now, in the probably three or four months since we had that discussion, what Justin Lamb has done has probably overshadowed it a little bit in this particular year. But let's yeah. take nothing away from Labuse. He is your Supergas world champion. He also finished second in the world in Supercomp to Austin Williams. And I'm just, I just pulled up his Supergas ledger here. You only get eight races to claim for points. One, two, three, four... Four wins and a runner-up in Supergas. Not bad. That, that's pretty impressive. And the Super Comp total was similar to that, I, I guess, while I've got it right here in front of me. Let's pull this up. He finished second in the world in Super Comp. Actually accrued more points in Super Comp than he did in Super Gas with 658, which, again, is a total that would normally win unless you come up against Austin Williams in a year where he puts up 687. And in Super Comp, that's one, two, three, four wins and a runner-up exactly basically the same mm. score so you're talking in 16 events obviously you're running two cars at each event eight wins two runner-ups you're in 10 finals out of 16 events that is remarkable stuff yeah really is so kudos he- to uh to little john john LaBoost jr he is does hold on in, in the most um, dramatic of fashion to win the 2017 nhra super gas championship and i know 
Uh, I don't want to put words into his mouth. Maybe we'll get him on the show as well. If he had to choose between the two classes, I would say super gas probably means a little bit more to him personally, just because of the history that his father had in the class as one of the founding fathers of super gas. Those of us that know Big John, I think, relate to him more as a bracket racer but on a national scene i think he really made his name in the introduction of the supercats class back in the 80s i know when john won the gator nationals it was really special to him because that was one that big john had won so to uh, accomplish the world championship in that class that the big john never did win a championship in was it but was a consistent top 10 finisher back in the early days of supergas i think that means a lot to john I'm sure it does. Um, the historical value there, uh, probably something he'll carry with him from now on. So uh, really proud of him. Great job, little John. Both classes, I know, come up short in the Super Comp, but still a great job. Again, not definitely was not rooting against little John because the, our championship picks on here on the podcast were already decided. So it really didn't mean much that he won and added a, a number to Team Luke's total, but that one hurt. You know, that one, I, at least I had a chance there for a little while, and then you shut the door on me last week, and then this week is just a total domination. Yeah, yeah, you just stretched it out. Instead of having two times as many world championship picks as you did, Jed, now I've got three times as many world championship <laughs> yeah. picks as you do. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. I can't wait to uh, serve my punishment, a season-long punishment, with a caricature of me with my finger in my nose. Thank you, David Deming. We've got a, and, we've got a little uh, update on this front, don't we, Big Jim? Yeah, yeah, we got a little update. That caricature has been submitted and accepted. It was submitted by my good friend Greg Neese. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. It's really Really neat. We're going to get that up on the Facebook page soon, and we got to get the decal done, a 12 by 12 for me to put on my car and have uh, me picking my nose all year, uh, saying the only winner I can pick. And uh, it's got me with a Team Luke badge on my shirt, and it's just really, really cool. But it really was. Great job by you guys. Thank you so much for doing that and submitting it. It's really nice. And David, uh, that was a David Deming. That was good punishment, and I look forward to serving it. Luke is the victor. To to the victor go the spoils. That's another one we'll cut out for a drop. I, I like it when you say stuff like that, Big Jed. <laughs> so I, I know we have said it in some form or fashion, but just a quick ode to the 2017 NHRA World Champions. And what about? The opportunity to, to be a part of that group or to, to even just be a fly on the wall at the banquet on Monday, your champions, I don't know if you could get a much more accomplished group um, holding up the trophy on stage there in California. Jeffrey Barker, who is, I think at this point, the, what do we determine when we had Jeffrey on? He's the winningest driver in top sportsman history. Yeah, he's Mr. Top Sportsman, no doubt. Lynn Ellison, your top dragster world champion. Lenny has been around this for a long time, as I know is a national event winner in at least three classes. I know uh, it's one in Super Gas, Super Stock, Top Dragster. He may have got a Super Comp win at some point along the way, too. He's won Indy. He's won several big bracket races. Justin Lamb, obviously two-time champ this year. That's incredibly special. He's now a four-time world champion at just 30 years old. Austin Williams celebrating his second world championship and, and one that a couple of breaks here and there over the last five years, and that could have easily been his fourth. And yep. of course, John LaBoose Jr., who this is his first NHRA world championship, but 
there's a guy that's won everything that there is to win in in our world uh, of sportsman drag racing. And then just for kicks, you throw in David Rampey, winner of 95 plus national events. And you don't get me to lie in here. This is either number four or five world championship for him as well. So what a group. Yeah, very strong group, highly accomplished and uh, well-deserving. Each of those guys uh, had great years and come out on top. So congratulations to each and every one of those champions. Uh, Look, there was a little bit more racing that went on at Pomona that we'll touch on briefly in the comp class. Um, Podcast bump, Dan Fletcher. I got to win over Tom Mettler. Can we claim that? It's been like four months. Yes, we can claim it. It, The interview is still um, one of the best ever, so um, we still get to claim it. Super comp was our buddy Bobby Dye, specialty fasteners guy. You know, getting a win over Tanner Theobald, which Tanner's had a really good back half to the year as well. Super gas was Steve Parsons over Mike Wibblehauser. Super stock was Robert Cruzen over Jimmy DeFrank. Jimmy D with another strong finish to his year. And stock, as you mentioned, was Austin Williams over Chris Stevenson. And that wrapped up the NHRA racing outside of the pro or outside of the uh, ET categories, which we won't talk a little bit about now. Yeah, I think as special as it is to win an NHRA national event in any category, I feel like, I guess, outside of the pros and the championships being determined, the story of this event every year, this year's no different, is the Summit ET Championships. This is a deal that we we kind of previewed it towards the end of, uh, of last week's show. There's eight competitors in each of the four classes with one representative from each division. That's the division champion in each division headed all the way to Pomona. Some of them, the division one guys are driving across country. The division two guys are driving across country. I would think if I was driving to Pomona, it would be across country and work way closer than either one of them. It's a big, big deal just to have the opportunity to race on that stage, much less to come out atop that group of eight elite competitors in each class. So This year's championships went to Division I representative Todd Martin in Super Pro, who knocked off Division VI Dale Green in the final. And Martin, let me see if I can pull this up. Like, he was nasty. Did you happen to look at his runs? I did not get to see it. The story there for me in Super Pro was Todd Piper breaking his car and having to get in uh, in the top dragster, the car that goes 620s, 630s, and having to dial seven flat or slower. It It was quite interesting. Yeah, let's race for a world championship, and we'll just hold a second while we're at it. He did advance through <laughs> a round doing that and actually made a pretty good lap when he lost. But to, to my point earlier, Todd Martin, Division One rep, and this is what's so cool about this event, because like, with all due respect to Todd Martin, I don't know who Todd Martin is. right? I assume that Todd Martin is a, is right. a local competitor from somewhere in Division One. I don't even know where. And this just goes to show you that there are racers of this caliber all over this country at tracks in every nook and cranny of of our nation that are capable of doing this just because Todd Martin isn't a regular at the million dollar race or the spring fling like what he did out there first round he's 14 dead five again this is quarter mile and he hadn't been on the track in a day second round he's six and a thigh wonder and in the final he's one one above zero so basically Mm. the worst lap that he made is 19 total on a blind run coming into it pretty impressive very impressive over in the pro category uh, i'll take a little pat on the back from myself here for picking jason patterson but jason patterson gets the win out of division four over division one's butch weinrich yeah jason was the only competitor that we didn't completely jinx with our picks last week like nobody else (laughs) made the final that we picked 
Well, anyway, we're going to oh, talk oh, to Jason oh, oh, a little I'm bit. Sorry, but I'm sorry. I, I, that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's you not accurate. Take that one. Nobody that I picked made the final. How about that? <laughs> yeah. So sportsman category, speaking of, was Troy Johnston. Troy's a Division Six racer, I believe. Hmm. And he got the win over Jake Howard, which I picked Jake to win. That was a nasty final, really, for double breakout. Both of them double O on the tree and slow sportsman cars. Jake with his, again, second trip in as many years to Pomona and uh, come up just a few thousand short there in the final of Sportsman. It was a really good story. Troy Johnston, obviously, um, in one of the slower cars, I think 12 O's, what he was running. He was getting head starts and uh, he got it done, his Mopar. So great job by Troy. Both of them drove really well. And Troy, come out on top. Yeah, and then the pro bike final saw Riley Toth defeat Kurt Spracklin. And uh, Spracklin was sporting the number one, so I can only assume that he won that event last year. Came within uh, one round of the uh, elusive and impressive world championship double. Yeah, I don't know much about it. I don't even remember who I picked in bike. I guess I picked a Division Two guy because I yeah, think I went homer. homer. I went homer on that one, but didn't work out for me but we're going to talk to jason patterson here in just a minute or two luke about his experience in the summit et finals and uh, he come out on top so looking forward to that yeah very excited and uh, honored to have jason on the show give us a little bit of insight to what that whole event and that that stage is like for a, basically a weekly bracket race you're getting the opportunity to travel to pomona and race for a world championship in the in the brightest lights of all so uh, super excited to have jason on with us here very shortly that'll come up right after a couple of messages from our sponsors It's that time of year where many of us are looking at upgrading racing equipment. Maybe it's a freshen up, maybe it's a new motor, maybe it's a new race car. If it's time to upgrade your support equipment, be it trailer or RV, check out RacingRVs.com or give Joe a call at 419-236-1328. Why Racing RVs? Well, for one, they support sportsman drag racing like no other. Racing RVs is the presenting sponsor of the NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman categories. They're heavily involved in all of the SFG events. They sponsor a number of successful sportsman racers, and they presented every episode of this podcast. But what can Racing RVs do for you? Quality coaches and trailers at fair prices, new or used, trade-ins, financing, consignment, Nationwide delivery, no matter your need, racing RVs should be your first phone call. As we mentioned pre-show, November 27th brings the annual BTE Black Friday sale. 20% off all complete transmissions, torque converters, and most BTE manufactured components. The only thing not included are independent planetary sets. I don't know about you, but when my wife says 20% off sale, I rarely get too excited about it. But in this case... If you're looking for a new transmission, BTE's Top Dragster or Top Sportsman Trans, uh, that's their most popular piece. They regularly sell for $39.95. On Black Friday, they're $31.95. That's an $800 savings. 9-inch or 10-inch torque converters normally run $940. On Friday, they are just $752. And those deals extend to SFI cases, input shafts, valve bodies, and more. The sale is Friday only on November 27th, but we're taking orders now in preparation because Friday, November 27th will be a big day. To order, you can call BTE Direct 
or you can come through me at Luke Bogacki Motorsports. You can reach me via email, via messenger, or via phone at area code 256-679-8328. All right, guys, as promised, uh, we've got a guy here that started racing at the age of 14 in 1991. He's won seven foot brake track championships at Royal Purple Raceway. He's a three-time king of the track, a multi-time big buck race champion, and he's now the 2017 NHRA Pro ET National Champion. Jason Patterson, good to have you on the show, man. How you doing? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just getting back to normal right now. We got back in at 1030 this morning, and uh, me and my best friend Dennis Clark, we drove straight through, so yeah. it's kind of nice to be it's Kind of nice to be back home. Yeah, you guys made it home in, uh, what, 26 hours or so, something like that? It was 24, then, you know, you lose the two hours coming back. Yeah. So in there, you gain you gain a little time, it seems like, so it wasn't too bad. It wasn't yeah. too bad of a drive. No problems, no trailer tires blown out or anything like that. Excellent. Jason, I know you, you just got home this morning. You got you some sleep, some rest, and oh, yeah. uh, now you're, you're up, and has it? Has it sunk in yet that you are the NHRA national champion in pro ET? It's getting there. It's been really, really a real blessing. I'm looking at the check right now on the couch, looking at the, the Wally still thinking, wow, you know, it's it's been a dream of mine since I was a little kid. On the way home, I was trying to get some sleep. I knew I had to get some sleep. I just couldn't sleep. I was so pumped. Dennis is looking over at me. He's like, you're not going to go to sleep, man. You know, just don't even try to go to sleep. You're, you're just going to be awake. So my, I think my rough, 500 miles that I put down were tough because I didn't have any sleep. Finally, on the second trip, I finally got some sleep, but it was it was one of those things where you know you just pumped up, I'm still pumped up. <laughs> I'm sure. No question. Like you say, uh, or like Jed said earlier, started uh, racing in 1991, so this has only been 26 years to get here. We'll talk a little yeah. bit, Jason, about the the actual event and the in the rounds and and how you got through those to secure the national championship. But I'm really interested in the the overall experience. I mean, it's what every weekly racer dreams of is just having right. the opportunity and, and being on that stage in Pomona. Tell us a little bit about just that atmosphere and that experience and what it's like to be a part of it. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous. It's definitely <laughs> one of the biggest stages that I've ever been on. Just trying to stay focused and calm was the hard part. Once I was in my car, all that kind of went away. I didn't really get to see all the people in the stands, the TV. I saw the one TV guy beside me, but I just kind of blocked it out. I had to block it out or I wasn't going to do any good, but I was just a nervous wreck <laughs> to be honest. And then a good thing I had my family there and my friends and they finally calmed me down, but it's definitely an experience that I think everybody should have, you know, eventually try or, you know, if they do get there, they'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, if, you, if you're nervous, that's only because you're human. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I, and I think everybody there was pretty nervous mm -hmm. to be there. We go to big money bracket racing. That's not. I don't. I mean, that's fun to go do. Only things on the line is money. Everybody likes money, but to to go to this, you just got to be so careful. You've got to double check everything. My lights weren't stellar. They weren't great on time trials. To me, they were good enough to win on Sunday. First round, I was 39 against Mangus. And then second round on Griffin, I was 18. He went red. And I was 38 in the finals. So those were good enough lights, I thought, to win. They weren't 
my normal average, but hey, I'll take it. I don't care if they were 99, 100 lights and I won. I'll still take it. <laughs> Obviously, they were good enough to win. You you talked a little bit. You said it's a 24-hour ride out there and back. You talked about your buddy yes. going with you, your family being there to join you. I guess from the time that you won the Division Four championship and planning on making that trip to Pomona, for those of us that, that would dream of making a similar trip, like walk us through the, the logistics of that a little bit. How did you get everybody there? How'd you get your stuff there? How tricky was all that? Well, it was real tricky at first because we run eighth of a mile down here, and then we knew going into this race was going to be quarter mile. I haven't raced a quarter mile race in seven years. I believe my last one was 2010 when I had my stalker. I, you know, I had the uh, B-Stick 70 Camaro. So I haven't raced quarter mile in seven years. Going into Sunday's first round, that was going to be my first race quarter mile in seven years. So we were trying to get the car ready. We had an issue at about 1,200 feet. The car would get up to about 7,200 RPMs and just flatline. We were panicking. We only had a few weeks left. Finally, we went out to Lufkin one weekend. We made some changes on the car, and we fixed it. So that was one reason why we didn't come to the footbrake challenge race in Holly Springs was because we needed to save the car to get ready for that. But all the preparation, getting ready for that event was just, it's pretty stressful. We had the car apart, but we, we put new valve springs on it. We did everything, all new everything. And obviously it paid off very nice. So. Yeah, I'd say it did. Jason, you almost skipped the 2017 racing season. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us why you almost skipped that and tell us what or who led you to come back. Well, in, in 2016, I was with my girlfriend and fiance for about five years. And there was some issues that, that happened and she, you know, she passed away on May 15th, 2016 at Baytown Royal Purple Raceway racing that day. I was in the final round. I was about to get in the car. I was racing one of my good competitors, Jay Robinson. And for some reason we were texting back and forth and she told me, go get it, go in. This was a few rounds before that. I get the phone call. It's her dad, David Eaton calling me. Telling me, you know, hey, you need to leave the track and head this way. Okay, is everything fine? No, nothing. I mean, everything is not right. So I'm freaking out. I said, okay, screw the final round. I'm not going. Jumped in my truck and I, you know, get all the way to the hospital. And and of course, I found out the bad news that shit passed. So going into that, we had a long month and a half off. And I'm leading the points in the 2016 season at Royal Purple Race. You know, of course, I'm devastated. I'm not going to race. I'm done. My mind's just caught on racing. I had a long month and a half, maybe off. We went back, her parents, my parents, everybody, we all talked. And they said, this is what she wants you to do is race. So I finished out that season. I ended up third. It it just wasn't in my heart to race. So, you know, I just took off all summer. I mean, I'm not bad. I'm just trying to keep calm here. I took off all winter, first of the season in 2017. We all talked and we said, let's just do it. Let's see what happens. My good friend, Brian Gallagher, that owns Houston Truck Park, said, hey, drive the Camaro this year so you don't have your car out there to remind you that you're in your car. So luckily, I got to drive Houston Truck Park's Camaro, Brian Gallagher's car. It's been an amazing year, to be honest with you. I've won a lot. My mind's been sharp. My angel's been with me, and here I am now, world champion. (laughs) So it's just been one of those great rides, you know, And, and when I won on Sunday, that when that wind light came on, I just didn't know what to do for about, I don't know, four or five seconds. And then at the end, I'm like, yes, I finally won. And y'all could see it on the, on the replay. Oh, yeah. I'm just pump, pump, pumped, you know, and that was for her. <laughs> and we, uh, you know, and then after that, you know, I mean, y'all guys, y'all win a lot of big races. And y'all know when y'all do, people call, 
your phone blows up and I just haven't had time to reply to everybody's stuff and call them back. And it's just been crazy. I think I've been charging my phone more than anything just to keep it from dying. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun part of winning something big. And Jason, I, you know, obviously that was a huge win out there in Pomona, but winning the bracket finals for guys like us that, that grew up weekly yeah. racing and chasing that, that that had to be prior to Pomona, that had to be like one of the biggest things that ever happened to you. Like talk about that race a little bit and how you performed and how that went. That was the biggest race. I, I agree because you've got more racers out there. You got more racers that are hungry. You've got to go more rounds. Of course that racer, it was a stressful race too, because my girlfriend at the time, she knew that that was the race that I've always wanted to race her win so going into that i just i had a one track mind on how i was going to race i'm just going to you know make a decent green light i've lost that race many times with red lights i said i'm not going to red light at all so i'm going to go out there i'm going to throw, throw down some 30s and 20s all day and just see what happens and that's what happened i was holding about three or four to cover up my 20 and 30 lights all day and i get down to the semis or actually it was the last five cars and uh there's three of us baytown racers still in you got Heffler, you got Benny Gosling, and then three of us Baytown drivers are still in. So we're trying to figure out who's going to race who. So we got all that figured out, and I had to race one of my teammates. And luckily, I had the best reaction time. I got the bye to the finals, got a hold of Heffler, and uh, took care of business in the finals. And then after that one, I was really shocked. <laughs> that wind light came on of that one. I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> we're going to Pomona, boys. <laughs> and then uh, awesome. I had my one of my good buddies, Jerry Emmons, he, uh, he called me pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I grew up racing with those guys, and those are like my idols. I respect those guys, and I look up to them a lot. Me and Jerry talk a lot on the phone about how his car does really good. He, you know, he calls me, hey, man, what kind of wheelie bar settings? You know, and, and I ask him all the questions, too, about the wheelie bar settings. As a matter of fact, I called him for my first round, I believe, Sunday morning in Pomona. You know, our cars do big wheelies. So, we're, you know, you got this good air, you got bad air, and we're trying to figure out the settings and everything. And we we always, great guy. So, yeah, Jason, that was probably the best win I, for sure ever. So, no doubt. For, for those of us that uh, may be a little bit more unfamiliar, why don't you step back just a little bit and tell us a little bit about your racing operation, the car that you were driving in Pomona and what you had to get there. We've got a pretty decent little shop. We've got about six cars in the shop. The car that I was driving in Pomona, it's a 79 Camaro, 10 and a half inch radial tire, leaf spring, Caltrack bar, 327 inch cubic inch motor, turbo 400. It weighs about 3,100 pounds with me in it. It was built probably around, I want to say maybe 2001 or two. It was actually um, Brian Gallagher's brother that helped build the car. Since then, I've, I've raced it in 05 and 07 in Baytown, won two championships in it there, and then I won the Baytown championship in it in 17, of course. We basically, you know, I do a lot of drag race suspension setups for, you know, local racers. I try not to do my competitor stuff that good because then, you know, they're going to be out there whipping up on me. <laughs> I have people all the time, you know, I scale cars, I'll set the suspension up, so we'll do the wheelies and do all that good stuff, but it depends who I want to. Whose car I want to, I don't want to set up somebody's that right on my tail all the time. So, <laughs> um, 
I can only imagine. Let, let's just let's throw away the world championship and and the division championship. Obviously, those are career defining yes. moments. Prior to the division four bracket finals, I, I know you'd been a seven time track champion. Like, is there one yes. specific race, like your your single biggest racing accomplishment, prior to that bracket finals event in October? Oh, absolutely! I can tell you exactly which one. It was my first race win back at Baytown. After I got the call that, you know, my girlfriend had passed away, just coming back, trying to get that monkey off my back to get to the final round to win that race. And that was just a local bracket race that I had won out at Baytown. That was a pretty emotional win right there. I'd rather took that win over a five grander race or anything else, just for the fact that I came back, I won my first race there. You know, I was happy about that one. It was just a regular standard trophy, but that's one of my best ones, I believe, that I like the most. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So, Jason, uh, before we wrap up the interview, you know, you, you're obviously coming off a major high on your, your last couple of events there. And it's got to have you thinking about 2018. What's your racing plans for 2018? Well, I've got a lot of free uh, gold card and entry stuff to look forward to. That's for sure. <laughs> I've got it on the IHR. Yeah, I've got it on the IHRA side also, and then I've got it on the uh, NHRA side also. Nice. Uh, wow. Yeah, we got a little local IHRA track down the road here in Evadale, and I've won the track championship up, track championship out there about four times now in the last five or six years, I believe. And they pay your entry fee when you win that at oh. the local track, so that's paid for. My local track at Baytown's paid for. So it, you know, I'm hoping to, uh, I'm hoping to repeat. You know, that's that's the key, and um, usually. Down here, when you got a number one on your car, you're a bullet, you know, you're, you're a, or a bullseye, my bad. We're just going to have to step it up and just race a little bit harder and uh, just try to repeat. That's the whole key. Well, man, we appreciate that information. Appreciate you coming on. Before we wrap things up, Jason, we like to do a little segment called Rapid Fire, where we ask you kind of a, a quick question that requires a quick answer, something you don't think about a whole lot. We got oh, five. Great. That'd be good. <laughs> Thank you up for it. Well, yeah, since I've only had what four hours of sleep in the last perfect. twenty-eight or so, so that'd be perfect. You know, I've already uh, already messed up a couple of questions, but let's mess up some more. Come on. No, with you me. ain't messed up anything. You're right where we want you. <laughs> Jason, right. I know you take pretty good care of yourself. Would you rather yeah. go on a good run or would you rather have a good race? <sighs> I'd say good race. I don't want to hear the answer of, of Peter Biondo or Dan Fletcher here, or even Jerry Emmons, but in your oh, okay. in your world, like the guys that you compete with, I guess on a, on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis, who is the opponent that you least like to stage against? Oh, man, there's so many down here. I would say just maybe a, a fresh rookie, you know, somebody that's, that's young, that maybe has made about 50 to 100 laps, on his first racing career, because those guys are ruthless, man. They, they they have no fear in them. So, I would say just a regular, fresh rookie bracket racer. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, what's the song that you you need to hear to get you motivated, or one that you just got to crank up before racing gets started? Yeah, there's a bunch of those too. Maybe some ACDC, some good rock nice. and roll. I like listening to some a little bit of older rock and roll. Even some Bon Jovi, Wanted Dead or Alive or something. That's there you go. Some of my kind of some of my favorite stuff. Jed, isn't that one of your specialties? I've hummed that one in time or two, yes. <laughs> or the Rocky song, you know, the, the Eye of the Tiger. Everybody likes that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> we, we were actually listening to that Saturday night. You know, we were out 
out at dinner and the song the song came on in the uh, car and we're like yeah there we go i have a tiger so yeah you see a tiger on sunday (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) jason your story over the what the course of the last year and a half two years is is the stuff that hollywood is made of if they were to make a a movie of your life story uh, who plays jason patterson maybe matt damon jason's uh What's his last name? I can't even pronounce it. Stalin, the what is he? British or something? I can't think of his name right now. Yeah, yeah, um, that, dude's, that dude's built. Statham, Jason, yeah. J- Jason Statham. I believe that's him. One of them two. You know, they got to be bald headed for sure. Because I, you know, I'm bald. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Van Diesel, but you you had good answers. Uh, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> I, I like him, but he's just more. He's just too mellow. I'm more high strung. I need somebody a little bit more high strung than, than, than Diesel. He just, yeah, man, we're all right. We're going to be fine. Now, we, we, I'm a little hyper all the time. So, uh, Jason, last question. What is the perfect post win meal after you get the big win? What's the perfect meal? Depends how hungry I am. <laughs> you know, it, 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 like, well, Saturday night, well, when, I'm sorry, Sunday night, there wasn't much open in Pomona, so we didn't really get a really good dinner. So scratch that one out of the way. I'm going to say, well, a good old steak and potato and ice cold beer. Sure does sound good right now. So <laughs> I think I'm going to get dressed here in a little bit and actually go to in town where I live where there's some really good steak. And I know they're going to be open until 11 o'clock or so. So I'm gonna we're going we're gonna to call tonight a good good meal plan tonight a steak and baked potato sounds good tonight i hear you we'll enjoy it bud you deserve it uh, we appreciate very much you spending some time with us today jason yeah. congratulations on an amazing year and an amazing finish to your year really proud of you man hey and thanks for picking me on your uh on your podcast that was pretty cool i got to go back and listen to that and i said wow jed picked me and uh i'm glad i lived up to that <laughs> yeah i am too happy for you man yeah i think we jinxed hey, everyone else that we picked so we're glad <laughs> someone lived up to it man congratulations Yo, I had, yeah yeah it was funny because i had mangas first round and griffin second round so that kind of worked out pretty good knocked them out pretty quick so uh <laughs> hey thanks for having me on luke and jed and uh it's been a blessing it's been my dream come true i'm gonna be happy for a long time so i'm still on this high right now awesome man well thanks for coming on again and uh look forward to seeing you out on the track sometime soon okay thanks guys see you bud big jed we got a little bit more uh clarity as mm-hmm. to the uh the plans that ihra has for the summit sportsman spectacular in 2018 again not all the details are out just yet but they did uh, put out a release last week and in reading through it the highlights is something that we knew already 10 weekends 20 events all the sunday races will pay at least five thousand dollars to win the saturday i guess event purse is going to be at the track's discretion so those purses mm-hmm. will vary a little bit IHRA is going to offer some pre-entry discounts. In fact, I think it said in that release that if you pre-enter online, basically the Sunday entry is free for that $5,000 plus to win event. And I would assume in reading that, like my correlation there is that's some of where Summit's money is going to guarantee that winner's purse at each event. Yeah. I would assume that's Summit's money and I would assume that that's not all of it. Like I would assume that that's a share of it and some is going to go to some type of uh, points prizes at at year end that have yet to be announced. They did announce that there will be contingency awards available to winners, runner-ups, and semis. Obviously, more details to come on that. Not sure how many companies will be involved, but that's obviously a nice carrot to dangle out there. 
They did mention some ideas that we're very familiar with from the world of big dollar bracket racing in that they will incorporate racer appreciation cookouts at each event, golf cart races, and some round prizes at each event. Again, that's basically uh, taking a page out of the book of a lot of the big dollar bracket competition over the last several years. They did announce that each event will only include two classes, a box class in which no box cars are welcome to participate and will run separate. The last no box car standing, I believe, gets $1,000. I don't know if that was just in the $5,000 Sunday race or if that was for both days, but it's just one class for box slash no box and a junior dragster class. And they also announced that uh, you cannot double same car, same driver, but a driver can drive multiple cars. I don't know, like, you can make an argument for a lot of different things double entry-wise. Like, I don't know if we're necessarily here to debate this, but I did think that the quote was a little... I don't know, it made me chuckle. The quote from Scooter Pichero with <laughs> said, quote, allowing multiple entries caters to a select few to create an unfair advantage, and that is not what this series is about. To me, that's a pretty hypocritical statement. Like, not allowing drivers to double enter their vehicle, but allowing drivers that own two separate vehicles to mm-hmm. double, that does seem like an unfair competitive advantage to the people that can afford to have two cars. Is Do you think yeah. along the same lines? Yeah, it caters to a few uh, stackers, <laughs> and I don't have one. So, yeah, I'm, I promote foot rate races where we allow double entries. And, you know, I, I think if you're going to allow any form of double, you allow all form of double. So, not a big fan of that rule in that statement, but you know, hopefully it still works out well for them. I still want to see this thing take off and do well. Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong. I take advantage of that rule. A lot of races that we go to have that same rule, and I have multiple race cars or have had in the past. But And if you want to, if, if Scooter Pico wants to make the argument that not allowing same car, same driver doubles speeds up the program, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but at least I can see the logic behind it because you don't sure. have to wait on a car to cool. I can't see the logic behind a statement. So I don't want to nitpick apart bits of <laughs> of the press release, but that made me chuckle a little bit. That, in a nutshell, is, is what we know. The rest will be announced, they said, by the end of the month. And obviously what is not known just yet is what the points program will entail, the actual purchase, purses of the uh, specific events, specific rules and of course uh, maybe most importantly the tracks and the dates thoughts like i know you're excited about this i'm excited about this i feel like they're moving in the right direction what do you think yeah i definitely um for you know for again for the people that have committed to the ihra series and and all those classes that are going away for the interim at least you know, I hate it, but I'm excited for the sportsman racer to have an opportunity. I think they're going to create a big stage loop for people that, that run the type of racing that we run. And I don't think they're looking for the Luke Bogakis, the Peter Biondos of the world to, to come support their series. I think they're going to get some, some well-recognized racers. They're going to get some local guys. They're going to get a nice mix. And I think it can be successful if they handle it the right way. And and I'm really, I'm all for it. Yeah. Like I said on a previous podcast, I think they've got a great opportunity here to cater to a market that big dollar bracket races miss for the most part. Like the local racer slash regional racer that wants an opportunity to race on a little bit bigger stage without spending a ton of money. And it looks like 
in everything in this release, that's what they're trying to target. And I think that's really smart. And I love the idea behind, A, keeping it cost efficient and making it fun. Golf cart races, cookouts, things like that. Improve the social atmosphere of the event. That is an area in which NHRA is is lacking. And, and I don't know that they're even necessarily concerned with but I think it creates a market for IHRA to slide in. I don't know that I would run the the no box portion this way. Like, I'm sure you've got stronger opinions on this than I do. I can see both sides of it, but I just had assumed that there would be a separate box class and no box class. Where are you at there? Yeah, I wanted to see a separate class. And I know uh, Scooter has responded on um, some inquiry from some people and it was posted on drag race results that he said you know where else can a no box racer race for fifteen thousand dollars for a hundred and fifty dollar entry fee for a weekend those races are out there i'd I'd let scooter know that it's at norwalk and it's for 99 bucks and it's a lot more than 15 grand but you know i think the the deal is you're going to get down to one no box racer he's going to get over in the box class so you know, that sound in theory, that sounds great. Like he'll be right down the thick of things and compete. But my fear is that the no box racer is not going to support the series. There's going to be very few of them. And the winner of no box, although they're you know, going to get something for winning, they're going to get into the box class very early in the program and not have a realistic opportunity at, at competing. Yeah, that's the problem. And I guess on one hand, I mean, if there's only... 10 no box cars that that enter you only got to beat nine other guys to get that thousand dollar bonus but as you said then you get mixed in with the box cars in fifth round or something like that or or earlier potentially in a seven eight nine round race and yeah that that's tough could it be done certainly from a racer standpoint i don't know you're more confident in your bottom bulb ability just jed than i am but i'm not sure i I would put the box in (laughs) yeah but i don't know and you can speak to both sides of this, like from a promoter standpoint, like it just feels like that no box crowd is seems to me, you'd speak to it more than I do. It just seems fickle. Like it it seems to be a a Mm -hmm. difficult crowd to put your finger on. And while like Michael Beard and Anthony Walton are proving this theory wrong, like a few years ago, I kind of went on record saying that there's really no events in which no box is successful, in which it's not the marquee class of the event. Like the races that you and Steve put on with the WFC and the SFC, it's a foot break event. Nothing else is welcome. And those guys seem to support those in groves. Now, like I say, but when you get to you know, a box class and a no box class, it just it's rare to see the no box class really thrive. Again, with the exception of the races maybe that Beard and Walton are putting on. So from a promoter standpoint, like I can see IHRA's argument here. Again, not saying that I agree with it, but mm-hmm. precedent has been kind of been set and saying, well, and the spring fling model of, you know, the 32 no box cars, like that's really taken off and that's been popular. Yep. So I can understand IHRA kind of following that lead and thinking along those lines. I just think they need to be really careful about the way that they structure it and incentivize participation from the no box guys. Yeah. You know, you, you talked about the bottom bulb racer basically being a little fickle. I use this analogy and I'm not, it's not picking at anybody, but I tell people all the time, the average bottom bulb guy knows exactly how much money's in his wallet and how much money he's got in his checking account. He don't have to balance it. He knows exactly what's in there. The average super pro guy, I'm not sure that's the case. So I think there's your difference. I think the, the bottom bulb racer is just 
more economy minded and I'm not sure they're willing to spend what it's going to take because diesel fuel costs the same, that state costs the same, and their racing fuel costs the same. And now they've got to go compete basically in a box class. And although there's some great ones out there, the great ones probably not going to be showing up, you know, in, in what we consider to be a marquee event, like you said. So I don't see them supporting that very well. Hope they prove me wrong. Yeah, so overall, how's the Sciatory deal going to work? I guess we'll have a little bit clearer picture at the end of the month. I'm sure we'll talk about it then. It's going to depend a lot on just how cheap, how affordable the entry fee is for the weekend, what the points points program and bonuses look like, how much contingency is involved. Again, they said they'd pay winner, runner-up, and semi, but how much are we talking about? How many companies are going to be involved? And then I think most important, when and where the events are. So time will tell. We'll keep everybody posted as we go. Jed, we'll close this show with a little look ahead to next show. Next show will be episode 53. Wow. Yeah, for those of you like familiar with how many weeks there are in a year, there's like 52. So <laughs> it's not exactly accurate because when we first established the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, we released three episodes at once. And we did a, do an episode triple zero, so we technically have already done 52. Whatever. <laughs> I have a hard time keeping up with it myself. But the bottom line is, like, for pretty much a year, we've been doing this every week. So we wanted to commemorate that. And next week's episode will be a uh, first anniversary of the podcast. And we got some fun stuff planned. Yeah, it's going to be really awesome. You know, we, we're going to put out on our Facebook page, uh, Mark is going to put some things out for some people to kind of weigh in on, vote on, if you will. I guess you could do it poll style. But, you know, we want to know, like, favorite interview of 2017. And, you know, we've got our own favorites. Uh, I know, Luke, you've got your favorites, but I, I go back to Clay Milliken, man. Milliken mm-hmm. was, he was one of my favorites, if not my favorite, and Dan Fletcher. But I know you've got yours as well. Yeah, I don't want to skew the vote, but I just, again, kind of thinking back, the ones that really stood out to me, I enjoyed the interview with Fletcher. I really enjoyed our interview with Erica Ender Stevens. Bill Bader was kind of a, I don't want to say a dream come true for me, because Bill's an approachable guy. I try to talk to him whenever I see him. But getting a chance to pick his brain in front of our audience was, was a lot of fun. And one that I had kind of forgotten about until I went through the roster, from a personal standpoint, I really enjoyed our interview with um, Tammy Eggleston back in yeah. March. Yeah, Tammy was awesome. So, you know, we, we'll ask the listeners about your favorite interview. We're going to ask about, like, your favorite regular segment on the show. We want to know about who's hot or the final thought or what's up or the big interview, maybe more. We'll have that out there. Mark will put that out there as well. And Don't forget hashtag look, racing answers. We did that once or twice. We've been meaning to do it for, like, two months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I skipped that one because I wasn't sure we'd done it. <laughs> we done it once uh, anyway. <laughs> what about best story, Luke? There's been some great stories. We have had some good stories. Uh, obviously, uh, Hot Rod Fincham's uh, Fincham's clutch issues come to mind. Hucklebucking, yeah, that that was a good one. Jared Bargo's face plant over the wall, going to help out his buddy. That was a good one. <laughs> Your most embarrassing moment that stands out for me. Yeah, passing tech at the Gators, you never knew it was so easy. Just uh, just need a little upset stomach and wham, you're right through. Never <laughs> never saw it coming. No pun intended. Uh, your spring fling million win was a great story. It's great to see you solidify again your legacy. I know that you don't want to talk much about that, but uh, you're one of the most successful guys in our sport, and, and getting a win on that stage was uh, cool to be a part of. 
Yeah, and I think back to uh, the little bit we had Peter Biondo on. I think that was our most embarrassing segment as well. But when he talked about leaving the starting line in the semifinals in reverse, that, <laughs> yeah. uh, that just hammered home the idea that it can happen to anyone. So that, that was for Yeah, it really can. And then the uh, most awkward moment, that's going to be out there as well. Yeah, this is one we like literally came up with uh, pre-show, like, within an hour before recording today so we don't have a lot of great ones although i think back and and if i i think if i focused on each individual episode like there were awkward moments all the way along the way <laughs> um, oh yeah the, the ones Tons of. that stand out most recently obviously our uh, our safety equipment discussion where we kind of felt the need to walk back where it felt like we were walking back, but we weren't really saying anything different than we'd said the week before for the people that actually listen to the podcast yeah, that was awkward. Uh, last week's show, like when I listened to it, the fact that we um, basically like were both pretty steadfast in our idea that if you're in the point it's battle for a championship, you need to focus on integrity for that, and there should be no gifted rounds whatsoever. And then, like twenty minutes later, we're interviewing Justin Lamb, and he basically says it's okay if you're teammates, and neither one of us even questioned that. <laughs> that, that's kind of awkward you know like as a listener when when that is not that that not that we're right justin's wrong or vice versa just the in our defense we had the interview with justin first like we recorded that before we went on our rant so we kind of felt like we covered it but uh yeah. in reality like we're just both so non-confrontational that we do awful <laughs> interviews in that regard so that was awkward well, it wasn't time for our opinion. It was time for his. So That's it's, a good point. it's okay. So, and the Street Outlaws interview with David Bird Jones and Kai Kelly. Luke, I, I think we probably said it way back when. We, I think we've gotten a little better at the show each week. And, and But if people <laughs> could hear what you had to work with on the interview and what you turned that into, you would be editor of the year. Well, I don't know if that whole episode would classify as awkward or awful. Like, it starts with an A. It's one of the two. <laughs> it was both. <laughs> and certainly the entire Fall Fling episode where we sat together for the first time in podcast, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast history, and did the interview with Aaron Vale, no less, right there in the tower at Bristol. That was awkward i mean i i was awkward you wasn't so much but it was for me <laughs> yeah on my end i think back to the uh the super comp championship discussion because for like two months we were blowing up it's all about john labouche jr and gary stinnett and austin williams and nick folk and then i'm bringing it up going you know i could be a fly in the ointment here you know what i mean like how do you approach that yeah those four guys are doing really good but i got a <laughs> shot uh, so yeah that was a little awkward on a on a personal level <laughs> yeah so again mark's going to put those out on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page and uh, we want all the listeners to weigh in listen back to some shows go back in the archives whatever you got to do find your favorite moments or most awkward or whatever the the poll is at the time and let us know what you're thinking, and, and we'll let you know what we're thinking. All right, I'll let so, you have the red part on the wrap-up this time around, Jed. All right. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> well, guys, that does wrap up episode 52. Wow. I mean, amazing uh, how fast this really has passed. It's It's been an awesome ride. We want to say thanks to our sponsors, BTE, Siebert Performance, and Racing RVs. Definitely want to say thanks to our guest, Jason Patterson, 
And uh, PJ North, want to definitely send a special shout out to him for all the music he's and all the drops he's done for us this year. Our assistant, Mark Romeo, has been uh, amazing help as always. And if you got ideas for a show, you know, we're about to come out of racing season into the uh, in a little more quiet period. So if you got some ideas for a show, message on the, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, or you can contact Mark directly on Facebook. That is Mark Romeo and just like we've said, and we've lived up to it every week, we're bringing you a Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, and we hope you stay tuned for all the, the great stuff we got going forward. Yeah, and the quickest way to get notified when a new podcast hits is to subscribe on whatever app you're using to access the show. We are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play, we're on Stitcher. Tell your friends about the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast and get your track involved. We would love to be broadcast over the PA during downtime, during parking time, whatever the case may be. If your track does play us over the PA, let us know. We'll give them a shout out on the show. Last but not least, be sure to join us on our Facebook community. We are the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. You can also touch base with Jed and I on Twitter. I am at Luke Bogacki. That's B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Jed is at JP11X. Thank you guys for listening, and we will touch base next week. Thanks, guys. Banging on the door. Bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot-breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.